the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The church at Thyatira had an awful lot going for them, but they also had something else that God didn't like. We'll talk about that next, here on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner. They had good works. They had great love, faith, service, and they patiently endured. Sounds like an amazing church, doesn't it? But Jesus did have something against them. And in the letter that is written to the church at Thyatira, it's given to us exactly what he didn't like. Hi, welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Join us as we take a look at the church at Thyatira in our series, Seven Letters to Seven Churches. Here's Pastor Gary now in today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Today, we come to the church of Thyatira. Now, this was a fairly obscure church. In fact, the city of Thyatira was itself quite obscure, although it was famous for its trade guilds connected with paganism. And we all actually know a woman who lived in Thyatira, a great woman in Acts 16, Lydia, the seller of purple. Notice now how the sender identifies himself, and of course this is Christ. He identifies himself as the Son of God. Now this is used nowhere else in the book of Revelation, although it is used frequently in John's Gospel. But this is the only time in the book of Revelation and where Christ is called the Son of God, it has two denotations. One, it is speaking of the eternal relationship that God the Son has with God the Father in the eternity of the Trinity. And secondly, it has reference to his messianic lordship and sovereignty as the God-man over every area of life. To say that Jesus is the Son of God is to say He is the divine human Messiah. And to say that He is the Son of God is to say that He has dominion. That is, the power to rule and the power to subdue. And no one can resist Him. Notice what it says about his eyes and feet. Who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze. And this all comes right out of the first chapter of Revelation in his great description there. His eyes pierce, his eyes flash with righteous anger. They see right through you. So he doesn't miss a thing in his estimation of this church at Thyatira. His feet are 
burnished bronze. They are heavy. They are strong. They can tread down one's enemies and the enemies of the truth without any resistance. Now, this description of Christ should have struck fear in its original hearers as well as us today. And prepare the reader for the severe words that are just about to come. But first he commends them. He says, I know your deeds. I am well aware, fully conscious of your deeds, your good works, such as your love, your agape. You're willing to give yourself for the Lord and for each other. I know your faith. You believe whatever the word of God teaches you to believe. I know your service, which comes from the word deacon here. Your willingness to serve one another. Your perseverance in all of these things. In your love and in your works and in your service. And he says your deeds are now greater than they were at first. In so many ways. You are tremendous Christians. You work hard in serving Christ. You you love each other. You love the Lord. You have faith in the word of God. And you persevere in these things. And you are growing in these things. Day by day. Week by week. Month by month. You are getting better in these areas of your life. And you are better Christians today than you were then. By the way, evaluate your own life. Are you a better Christian this month than you were last month? Are you a more faithful Christian this year than you were last year? Beloved Christians should always be growing. He's talking to the church and he says, You have all these things I can commend you for, and you are growing in all these things as well. And for these things, I do commend you. But I have a complaint. Verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. And she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so that they commit acts of immorality, and they eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, who is this Jezebel? Obviously, it is a figurative name. And what Christ had against her was that she was tolerated by the church as a woman teacher and preacher. She was a prophetess when a woman is not to hold that office of prophetess. Nevertheless, she did. And church You tolerated her holding this church office. In fact, it is speculated she may have even been the messenger's wife or the preacher's wife. No one elected her to the office of prophetess. It was a self-designated position. She put herself in that position. God didn't send her. And by her seductive teachings... She was encouraging Christians to compromise with the trade guilds and with their required banquets before pagan gods, saying, it's okay to do these things. Oh, sure, they're sensuous. 
Sure, there are things going on there in these trade union meetings that should embarrass a Christian. But don't worry about those things. It's okay. I mean, after all, you have to be members of, the, of those unions to get work. And I don't know if some of you, I'm sure Dennis does, remember these things. But in my lifetime, it was mandatory that you attend union meetings if you were a member of the union. And guess when many of those union meetings were held? On the Sabbath, right at the time most churches met for worship. So Jezebel would say, you got to do it to keep your job. That's okay. God understands your situation. That was sort of the mentality there in Thyatira with reference to this woman that was trying to get the people of the church to compromise with the ways of the world. And Jezebel is a proper name for her because the original Jezebel, the wife of Ahab in the Old Testament, sought to force the worship of Baal upon Israel. She said, oh, go ahead, worship Jehovah, but you must worship Baal as well. So this church, like the church in general after the apostles died in the first century, was plagued with all kinds of heresies and false doctrines. No sooner had the apostles died than all kinds of false teachings started creeping into the church, some worse than others, but nevertheless, they were there. I want to read to you from uh, a book by David Chilton called The Days of Vengeance. And this is what he had to say about this Jezebel. There was much that could be commended in the church of Thyatira. It was active in love and faith and service and perseverance. In fact, its activity was increasing. Your deeds of late are greater than at first. But in spite of all good works of the church, its great defect in the eyes of Christ was its doctrinal and moral laxity. The Thyatirans were thus the opposite number of the doctrinal correct Ephesians. The elders were allowing false doctrine to have a place in the church. Christ again calls the heresy by a symbolic name, as he had before, the Nicolaitans and Balaam. This time, the cult is identified with Jezebel, the wicked king of Israel during the 9th century B.C., who led the covenant people into the idolatrous and adulterous worship of pagan gods. First King 21, 2 Kings 9, were where her actions are specifically called harlotries and witchcrafts. The Jezebel of the Thyatirian church similarly advocated compromise with paganism. Of course, various pious-sounding terminology would have accompanied this, perhaps to the effect that, after all, there is only one God, so any worship rendered to a false god is really offered to the true God, or that by joining pagans in their religious services, one might be able to witness for Christianity, like going to public schools as a Christian, or that going along with the heathen will enable Christians to survive rather than be wiped out by persecution, or perhaps that all religions have something to teach each other, and that we Christians should abandon our arrogant and absolutism and seek to combine the best of our traditions with the best in the heathen, heathen traditions, thus creating a truly universal faith, one which answers the needs of all people and all cultures. Regardless of the rationale involved, 
the doctrine was heresy and was not to be tolerated. That is the precise term used here. You tolerate this woman, the Lord accuses them. And by tolerating her, the elders were placing the entire church in jeopardy, for she teaches and leads my servants astray so that they commit fornication and eat things sacrificed to idols. This must be clearly understood. Orthodox biblical Christianity is intolerant. A church that tolerates evil and false doctrine is a church under judgment. God will not long tolerate her. This is not to say that Christians should be intolerant of each other's mistakes, idiosyncrasies, and differences over non-essentials. But when it comes to clear violations of biblical law and orthodox doctrine, the government of the church is required by Scripture to put a stop to it before it destroys the church. Jezebel was figuratively, if not literally, leading Christians into fornication and idolatrous communion, the effective abandonment of the Christian faith for paganism and state worship. Was there literally a woman leading the Judaizers in this local area? The possibility is at least indicated by this specific accusation against the angel or the bishop of Thyatira. You tolerate your wife Jezebel. It may be that the arch-heretic of Thyatira was the leading pastor's wife. On the other hand, Christ may be pointing in a more general way to the angel's failure, like Adam, properly to guard the bride, a central function of the priestly calling. Because he had failed, she had become a harlot. There were basically three kinds of false teaching when you read the literature of the early church after the apostles died. You see, the apostolic church was the church during the days of the book of Acts. The early church was the church after the apostolic church, after the apostles died. So understand what I mean by the early church. It was after the Bible was complete and after the apostles all passed from the scene. And there were basically three kinds of heresies that plagued the church. One was antinomianism, like Balaam and the Nicolaitans. They believed you don't have to worry about faithfulness to the law of God. Then there was legalism. A lot of the early fathers became legalist. They taught that justification was based on faithful obedience and not just on the grace of God. And then there was syncretism, which was the idea that in order to be effective in the ancient world and communicate properly, there had to be a blending of Christianity with Greek and Latin philosophies. And what's interesting about this Jezebel is that she put an emphasis on Satan, as you see in our text, verse 24. But I say to you, The rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have known the deep things of Satan, as they called them, I placed no other burden on you. So Jezebel and her followers did what much of modern fundamentalist Christianity does. It puts more of an emphasis on Satan than it should, as if he has more power than he really does. 
This woman claimed to have various mysterious insights into God's mind and Satan's mind. And she, like much of modern fundamentalists today, emphasized and exaggerated the role of Satan in this world. To many people, Satan was and is as the central influence in history and in society. And we see that today when people say that Satan is in control of this world and, and he is in charge of this world and evil conspiracies are what move history along. And all of that is the idea that Satan is the central influence in history, not the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the point of this controversy that Christ had with the third church at Thyatira was this. How far can a Christian go in adopting contemporary standards and practices? At what point does expediency supersede principle for the Christian? When can you properly put properly what is expedient over what is right? That's the point here. So my question to you is, can you? May you ever put expediency before what is right? Remember, the Bible says, after all, does, it tells us to be transformed by God's word, not to be conformed to this world. So there is no compromise with expediency. Two of these churches had the wrong approach. And this is important today. Both Pergamon and Thyatira approach pagan culture from an attitude of compromise. That was Jezebel and the Nicolaitans and their followers. Compromise wherever you can. Give in here and there. Negotiate. Work out deals so Christianity doesn't stand out over and against the culture, but is instead assimilated into the culture. Then you have a second response in the early church, just as you have today. You have first the response of compromise, and, and then you have the response of retreat. Retreat, leave the culture, leave it alone. There's no hope for it anyway. Just learn to play a guitar and wait for Jesus to come. By the third century, 200 years after this letter was written, the church of Thyatira was a stronghold of an early church heresy called Montanism. And Montanism had several emphases. First, it had an apocalyptic view of history and of the future. It believed that the end of the world would be a cataclysmic breaking in of eternity, destroy everything that preceded it, and then to start over. If you remember, I said a couple of weeks ago that the book of Revelation is not apocalyptic literature. It is prophecy. That apocalyptic literature was condemned by early church councils as merely Jewish superstition that said, at the end of the world, Christ is coming to discard history. A cataclysmic, sodden end to everything and a starting over with a completely new order that had never existed before. That was one of the emphasis of Montanism. 
that cause people not to be so concerned with life here and now. And you see, that is in the rapture movement today. Some of you remember Pastor Smokey Stover. He told me a story years ago about he and some independent Baptists started an organization in Modesto here in California called Concerned Christians for Good Government. This was before there was the Christian right movement or anything like that. Smokey, although a Baptist at the time, was the only Calvinist on the committee. They put together a questionnaire whereby they would interview political candidates on the issues. And then they would publish the candidates' answers and they would distribute them. This was even before there was a Christian coalition. They would send these questionnaires around to all the churches and show just how liberal and unchristian these candidates were. Smokey said they were becoming pretty effective. More churches found out and were asking them for their information than one time. At one of the board meetings, the chairman rose from his chair and he said, I haven't been able to sleep for weeks. I believe that this organization is displeasing to God because we are trying to change things. And the Bible says nothing is going to change until the rapture. And after that is the great tribulation. So here and now, I dissolve this corporation. And that was the end of it. Even though they were becoming effective in changing the political environment and people's minds. But you see, this man was guilt-ridden. Because he was trying to do something about the culture. And there is nothing he felt to do for a culture that is going to hell in a handbasket. Because someday it's all going to be burnt up and God is going to start all over. So why polish the brass on a sinking ship? That nonsense did not start with the Bible. It started with Montanism. Montanism also had a great emphasis on Satan's activity in the world. Someone who I believe is a modern-day Montanist wrote the book called Satan is Alive and Well on Planted Earth. Their philosophy focuses on the power of Satan to control events. Also, Montanism shows up in the charismatic movement and stands on the fringe of Christianity. Also, in Montanism, there is a lot of asceticism and radical Platonism of people separating themselves like monks and nuns from the rest of life. So you see, beloved, where compromise will get you. And once it starts, it's almost impossible to stop it. So there are two ways so far that we have talked about to approaching pagan culture. The first is compromise, which, of course, is out of the question. The second is by retreat, which is basically rooted in an unbelief. And the third and biblical approach to culture is by reconstruction, Christian reconstruction, by bringing the gospel of Christ and the law of God to bear on all aspects of our culture on seeking to bring the Word of God to bear on every area of human society. Now, the enemies of the gospel, oh, they don't hate compromise. 
They love and embrace compromising Christians. They will even vote for them. And the non-Christian enemies of the church love retreat. They love it when Christians pull out of the battle and no longer resist. But they hate and they loathe and despise a Christian reconstruction approach to culture. They see that as one of the biggest threats to freedom and to liberty and justice for all people. And so they hate it and they oppose it and they ridicule it and seek to destroy it and discredit any form of trying to reconstruct or change culture by the Word of God, even in the church. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408. 408- 8665607 that's 4088665607 our website where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us is reformedheritage.org and then of course you can write to us at PMB that stands for post mailbox number 402 1484 Pollard Road Los Gatos California the zip code is 95032 Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.